Psalms 21, let's get into it here. This is really the follow-up from Psalm 20 that we looked at on Sunday. And uh, what a blessing that psalm was. I, I, I know at my first reading of that earlier in the week, I'm like, okay, what do we got here? Because it's not necessarily, Psalm 20 wasn't necessarily one of those. There's certain psalms that, like everyone's familiar with. Psalm 20, not so much. But as I just got into that and saw how, you know, they were praying for preparation for the day of trouble and the day of battle, boy, it's huge. And just, just truth that we need. And, and I know it just so ministered to me and I got a lot of just feedback from people that they were just really encouraged in that and just comforted by the word of God that, you know, the thing that we need to prep for tomorrow is just to have a strong walk with the Lord today. And, you know, all that other stuff, you know, we need to use wisdom and things. But all that stuff can be gone in an instant. But who can separate us from the love of God? Uh, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. And the more we abound in that and grow in that and, and have a, a strong walk with the Lord, that's, that's the very best thing you can do for tomorrow. And actually, it's the best thing you can do for today is grow in the Lord today. And so you get a double benefit of today and tomorrow. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Double portion from the Lord. So Psalm 21, is, again, Psalm 20 is the crying out, prepare us, go before us. You know, it, may you hear us in the day of trouble and so forth. Psalm 21 seems to be the response. It seems to be the, the day of trouble came and the Lord sustained them. Uh, verse 2, David says, speaking of himself as king, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request from his lips, Selah. And we know in the previous psalm, the quest was, meet us in the day of trouble. And here's David now rejoicing that the Lord has met us in the day of trouble. The Lord met us according to our petition, according to our heart's desire. And so as we read through the psalm, let's just keep that psalm in mind. And, and again, this seems to be the response uh, most Bible commentators believe that, and historians, uh, and just a glorious psalm before us. So let's, let's actually read verses 1 through 7, and we'll dive into this. And then the tone changes a little bit, 8 through 13, and, and I think we can get through this here tonight and be blessed by it. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and have not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. David's kind of doing a third-person thing here, talking about himself. For you met him with the blessings of goodness and set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. You have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercies of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Now again, this is a psalm of David. Seems to coincide and flow with the last psalm. And when he, David mentions he and so forth, he's talking about himself. And we see that right from the verse, first verse here. You know, we talk about the Hebrew Greek. Sometimes we just need to understand the English, what's going on here. And so the king shall have joy in your strength. And I love the verbiage here, he shall have it. And obviously in this psalm, you see the joy of the Lord in David. So as David has joy in rejoicing in what God is doing, I love the fact that he's also standing in the fact that I'm going to have it. I have the joy of the Lord. I have joy in your strength, O Lord. And I'm going to have it tomorrow and so forth. 
And notice where this joy is coming from. It's coming to the king from the strength of the Lord. Now, it's easy to look at this and say, well, you know, David was a king, so he had more access to joy and strength than I do. And nothing could be farther from the truth. And we talked about this on Sunday, and this has come up many times, you know, in our, in our studies through, through the word of God, that the fact that tonight in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that we are kings and priests. And I want to read that scripture just again because we're here, and I know not everyone was with us Sunday, but Revelation 1.5 says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In Christ Jesus, again, we're forgiven of our sins, we're washed, and not only are we saved, great glory is bestowed upon us to his glory and that he gives us these titles of kings and priests. And these aren't titles that should just be, you know, looked at in, in, a, in a footnote type of way or, well, that's interesting. This is really implying the high call in our life and the, the privilege we have. We're in a privileged position of being right in right standing with the living God through faith in Jesus Christ that we can enter into the Holy of Holies with boldness because Christ tore that bell in two and we can go into the presence of the King of Kings with our prayers and our petitions and so forth. Only the high priest could do that in the Old Testament as Christ is our high priest. He has made the way for us to be able to enter in. And so as he's talking about himself in this place, the king shall have joy in your strength. We need to take this into our heart and know as the joy of the Lord is available to us tonight and we should rejoice in the strength of the Lord, we're going to have that available to us every day of our life. You ever worry about tomorrow? What's going to unfold? What's going to happen? I know you do. I talk to you guys. At times I worry about it as well. I mean, it's part of the fallen nature and so forth. But tonight, can we stand in this? The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and take, make that personally. Again, in Christ Jesus, we're kings and priests. This is me not making this up. This is what Jesus Christ says. And if Jesus Christ says it, I want to believe that. And we should believe that. And so no matter what's unfolding, a king, again, David's saying here, I'm going to have joy in the strength of the Lord. And, and we should have joy in the strength of the Lord. The Almighty God, Almighty God who created all these things out of His Word, God Almighty who sustains these things, God Almighty who, again, His mercies were new today. There's nothing impossible with our God. He defeated sin, death, Satan, and Hades at the cross of Calvary. He says He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. There is no one greater than Him, and there's no greater name under heaven given amongst men, and only one name that can save us. I mean, we have an Almighty God and absolutely, we should take joy in the strength of our God who is committed to us despite us every single day. I mean, in Christ Jesus, he's committed to us. Again, he won't leave us. He says, I'll be faithful when you're faithless. And even before we came to Christ, I think that's a pretty huge commitment to us, even in our rebellion, and that he died for us while we were still in our sin and in our rebellion. That's an awesome God that we have. And even people in the valley of decision right now who've, come, who've not come to know him, he's still committed to them in the sense he is long-suffering, suffering, giving them opportunity day after day after day to call upon Christ and be forgiven. Now, if you're in that place, I encourage you not to take that for granted because we only have a certain amount of days allotted to us and none of us know when that last day will be. But God has shown us incredible love and that should be something that we 
rejoice in at every single term. What's also awesome in this, again, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. How these, we, we, we rejoice in the strength of the Lord, and we, when we do that, we receive the strength of the Lord into our life. Isn't that awesome how that works? Nehemiah 8.10, um, there was a day of weeping, and Nehemiah said to the people, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So as we take joy in the strength of the Lord, we receive the strength of the Lord from the joy of the Lord. Does that make sense? And how many times are we in a place where we don't have joy because we are not rejoicing in the strength of our God? We haven't set up those banners we talked about Sunday that talks about my God defeated death. My God defeated Satan, Hades. My God defeated sin. My God is all powerful. There's nothing impossible with my God. My God's promises that he's given to me are yes and amen. And you start rejoicing in God and the strength of the Lord. Guess what happens? You start getting the joy of the Lord in you, and that strengthens you. Because when you don't do that, it sucks your strength out. You get bummed out and burned out and beat down and so forth. And so we want to be in a place where we're rejoicing in the strength of the Lord, and in that, having the joy of the Lord infused into our heart and the strength of the Lord infused into our life. He says here as well, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. And I talk about this all the time, and I never want to lose sight of it, and I never want us to lose sight of this as a fellowship. Notice, and in your salvation, that salvation has been afforded to us through the finished work of the cross. Jesus did the work in taking the wrath through us upon himself, and he defeated sin and death. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in him. Not of works as any of us should ever boast. And if you've been boasting in your works, quit doing that. Start boasting in the work of the cross of Calvary. It's the salvation that has been afforded to us through him. It's his salvation. And then he says, how greatly shall he rejoice. Not only knowing that that salvation has been provided by God, and that's something that should make us rejoice. Listen, that's good news. I don't understand people that want to add on to the finished work of the cross. I don't get that. I don't get that, that, that desire of wanting to say it's Jesus plus us doing all these things. I know what it's rooted in. I know it's rooted in the pride of man and man wanting to deify himself, even if it's just a little bit, to be a co-redeemer with Christ. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, that's not good news because I know myself and I know I'm going to fall short even of that little standard that I put up and that's going to put me in a bad place, not in right standing with God. But what a wonderful thing to rejoice in the fact that it is finished. Can we rejoice in that tonight? It's finished at the cross of Calvary. And what a wonderful thing to rejoice in every single day, no matter what you are going in, or what's going on in your life. And, and, you know, I shared this Sunday, and it was just kind of something that came to my mind. You know what? Our worst day here as followers of Christ, there's no comparison to an individual who dies having rejected Christ and their first day in hell for all of eternity. You can't even compare it. Your first day in hell for all of eternity versus your worst day here as a follower of Christ, knowing eternity set before us is going to be with God the Father in a place where every tear is wiped away and the effects of sin are no longer in play. We need to rejoice in that. 
And that should be something as well that stirs our hearts to share that gospel message with those around us because there's people perishing all around us that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire and I will fill the request of his lips, Selah. And so, again, in Psalm 20, it was, may you hear us in the day of trouble and, and give us our heart's desire. And we talked about how we got to compare Scripture with Scripture. Because Psalm 37, verse 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. And in Psalm 20, David was delighting himself in the Lord saying, you know what, will you give me my heart's desire what happens when we delight ourselves in the Lord? Our heart gets aligned with His heart. And those things that we desire in our flesh start being put down and what starts getting raised up through the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and so forth to have a heart that desires the things that He wants. We start having a spiritual mindset versus an earthly or a carnal mindset. And David was a man who delighted himself in the Lord. And in that, he asked as it says here, you did not withhold the request of his lips. He asked according to the will of God and the word of God, and God met him where he was at in that request. And the same is true for us. Notice 1 John five fourteen. Now, in, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That word confidence. Not, you know, this is the wishful thinking we have in him. It doesn't say that. This is the confidence we have in him, in Jesus Christ, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And this is why we need to be a people of the word of God. We need to be a people delighting ourselves in the Lord. So A, we're filtering everything through his general will in the word of God. That we can hear some specific things that are not going to contradict the word of God and pray accordingly. You may have heard before, listen, when we pray, we pray to the Father in the strength and direction of the Holy Spirit and in the name of the Son. And to have that confidence in our prayers, that's going to be rooted in asking according to His will. And I think sometimes we pray and we're like, well, I'm not sure what the will of God is, so I'm going to bring this before Him. And then it's always wonderful to say, Lord, let your will prevail, Amen. Whatever your will is, Lord, I want that to prevail. But absolutely, we want to pray in confidence. And as David delighted himself in the Lord, no doubt his requests were filled with more confidence. And I find in my own life, when I spend time in the Word, in the midst of heaviness and things going on where you just want to focus in on the burden, I really encourage you to lay that down and turn your attention to the Lord himself and start delighting yourself in the Lord. Open up the Word, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a word study or whatever. Just let the Word of God wash you. Sometimes we just need that. I'm just going to, have you ever like read a few chapters? And you're like, I can't even remember what I read, but I feel washed. I felt built up in the Lord. Because of our peanut brain, sometimes we can't process it all. But the Bible talks about even being washed and, and just taking it in and delighting in that fellowship with the Lord. And what, that, what happens in that is our confidence grows, my confidence grows when I get more fixated on Him and delight myself in Him that then when I bring my request before Him, it is back with more faith, not in me, but in Him whom I'm delighting myself in. And notice again, His heart's desires were brought to Him because He delighted Himself in the Lord and as a result, His requests were not withheld because 
Obviously, he asked with confidence. And he asked with faith. James 1, 5 through 7, I'm not going to read it, 5 through 8. It talks about wisdom and asking for wisdom. But it says, if you ask, you need to ask with faith. In verse 6, he says, but let him ask in faith without, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. And I can't encourage you enough in your prayers. Again, we want to ask according to the will of God. I'm not talking about, you know what, I'm going to ask in confidence for A, B, C, and D. That's just completely outside of his will. And there's a lot of distortion and corruption of that. And I think as a result of that, some people, the enemy loves to take truths and distort them to get us away from those truths. We need to pray with faith. We need to pray with confidence according to God's word and his will. I think that's one of the biggest things lacking in the Western church. And it might be in part just because we're so provided for that that's maybe just made us a little soft, you know. Sometimes it's good to be thrown into a fire where the only thing you have to depend upon is God himself. And you really got to grapple that that confidence is built up. So you're like, listen, all my eggs are going in the Jesus basket here. I got to anchor all my hope in him. Verse 3, for you met him with the blessing of goodness and set a crown of pure gold upon his head. And as David came magnifying God and came in humility, and we saw the humility in the last chapter, he's not ordering God around, he's, he's asking, may Lord you do this, may Lord you do that. As, as he comes with, with glorification towards God and humility, God met him with the blessing of goodness. Doesn't that just sound good, the blessing of goodness? I, I want to partake of that blessing of goodness. And we can look at these psalms and, and see how, how we walk in that. It's just in our approach to the Lord and humility and honesty and magnifying Him. And then notice he says, you set a crown of pure gold upon His head. It wasn't a gold-plated crown. A crown of pure gold. And I don't say this to, to put the emphasis on monetary things, but what this shows us is that God doesn't give cheap gifts. God's about giving the best gifts. The Word of God talks about in Revelation 4, these 24 elders that receive crowns on their heads. And I believe those 24 elders are a clear representation of the body of Jesus Christ. And we know that the Word of God talks about rewards and, and, and so forth and talents. And, you know, we want to hear Him say, well done, that good and faithful servant, do we not? And think about this. Not only the Lord saves us, but He puts a commission and a call on our life. And when we take those gifts and talents according to our own ability... It's not a competition thing, but taking them according to our own ability and where we are, and we use them for the glory of the Lord. Listen, not only does he save us, save us and calls us kings and priests, but he wants to put a crown of pure gold on our heads as well. And you're like, I need to pay rent. I need that crown of pure gold today. Well, listen, if you need that, I'm sure he's going to provide what you need. But this speaks of something even more so, an eternal crown, and that's an awesome thing. And you know what's really awesome about that eternal crown? It's not going to be something that we have in heaven. Have you ever thought about, you know what, the talents and rewards in heaven? And it's like, is there going to be jealousy? You know, what's going to be the point of that, you know? Because there won't be any jealousy or anything like that, you know? The, the, the point of it is, and we read this in Revelation 4, 9 through 11, or in verse 10, it says, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. 
And those crowns we have are going to be taken and used to worship God Almighty. And it talks about crowns, so I don't know if there's multiples or whatever. But even in that, ultimately all the glory goes to God Almighty. Verse 4, he asked for life from you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. And David was asking, no doubt, for life out there on the battlefield, as we talked about that Psalm 20, preparing them for battle. And indeed, God sustained them. But David was not short-sighted. David knew he was going to die in this life. So he says, I asked, asked life from you and you gave it. And then notice here, length of days forever and ever. And listen, verse we talk about oftentimes, Jesus says, what's a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses a soul? You could even have the best life ever here, but if you don't know Jesus Christ there, what's it profit you? It profits you nothing. And it isn't wonderful to know that tonight through the finished work of the cross, if we come to Jesus and ask him to be our Lord in sincerity and truth, as he is the way, the truth, and the life, he gives us life. He gives us opportunity to have abundant life here through abiding and abounding and delighting ourselves in him no matter what our circumstances are. And, and the scripture says we're going to have some rough circumstances at times. Make no mistake about that. But then to know beyond that, I have life, and that life, the length of the days of that life are forever and ever in his presence. What a glorious truth. That should be a pick-me-up tonight. You know, you really think about it. Like, yeah, today, man, it's tough, but my length of days are forever with the Lord, the giver of good gifts. And, and these people, they get like, well, I don't know about heaven. I, you know, we're going to be on a cloud with a harp, with a token, whatnot. That's just a lie from the enemy. I mean, number one, your, your desire is going to be for the Lord. and It's going to be perfectly fulfilled on the Lord. But think about this. Every good, every good and perfect gift is sent from the Father of lights from above. And think about all the good gifts you have in your life. They're all sent by the Father from above. And to know my length of days are forever and ever in Christ. And all them good gifts are going to be there outside of them being tainted by a fallen world and sin and a flesh nature and whatever else. we got some things to be excited about. Verse 5, His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon Him. And this kind of goes with the, the crown of gold. Not only did the Lord give David life and eternal life, He also bestowed upon him great glory, honor, and majesty. Practically, David went from being a shepherd boy to the king of Israel. That's an upgrade from man's standards. Us, we went, from, we went from being enemies of God to friends of God. We went from being sons of wrath to being sons and daughters of God. We went from having no spiritual inheritance to inherit every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Again, we see all of these titles that God bestows upon us. He says we're going to rule and reign with him forever he has sealed us with the holy spirit of god i mean on and on and on not only does the lord save us but he bestows upon us honor and majesty and glory now that's not something to get prideful about that's something to be humble about but it's a pretty amazing thing that not only does he save us but then he wants to invest us in us and bestow good gifts on us and i think it's important that we know who we are in christ jesus again not that we get cocky not that we get arrogant not that we get some holier-than-thou attitude, because that is a misrepresentation of Jesus Christ who walked in humility here on earth. And it's a turnoff to people that need Christ Jesus. Nothing that will turn you off quicker than some 
self-righteous Christian, which is actually an oxymoron. A Christian is one that recognizes they are not righteous outside of Christ. There should be no self-righteousness there. But we do need to know that he has bestowed, as he did on David, upon us glory and honor and majesty. And, and, and the word of God is full of these truths. It, it, maybe you're struggling with that. I'll give you a homework assignment. Go read the first three chapters of, of Ephesians and write down all the things that you are in Christ Jesus. You're like, I got low self-esteem. Well, you know what? You need Christ's esteem. Go find out who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You start esteeming yourself too high and pride goes before the fall. I don't even see that as a biblical thing. Our confidence should be in him and we need Christ's esteem. It's far better than anything I can muster up in my own heart and so forth. You know, verse six, you have made him most blessed forever and have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus tonight? Can you say amen to that? You are most blessed forever. You're like, well, how can I be most blessed if, if he's most blessed or she's most blessed? You are. When the Bible talks about election and so forth, that implies you're God's favorite. Like, well, how can I be his favorite if he is or she is? Because he's God. He doesn't play favorites. We're all his favorite. He doesn't play most best blessed. We are most blessed in him. And notice here, David says, you made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Again, it goes back to delighting yourself in the Lord. You want some joy in your heart? You need some gladness in your life? Spend more, times with, spend more time with the Lord. And listen, his presence isn't something we need to muster up. Oh, Lord, fill this place with your presence. Everywhere I go, the Lord is with me. Everywhere I go, his presence is there. The problem is that at times, I don't want to acknowledge his presence. Or we're like, okay, Lord, we're going to kind of push your presence out the door. But he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And the more we delight in him, and the more we delight in his presence in fellowship with him as prescribed in the scriptures, the more joy we're going to have despite the trials or situ- situations or circumstances and so forth. And, and even in blessings, let's make sure our ultimate joy is coming from the Lord, not from the blessings of the Lord. And in the blessings of the Lord, let's make sure that we bless the blesser and we don't get caught up in those blessings. That's, a, that's a, a stumbling point oftentimes for us. Verse 7, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercies of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And, and absolutely, we want to learn and we want to grow in trusting in the Lord in all things. I mean, how many times do we have to quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's a pretty good word, isn't it? And I love it. And through the mercies of the Most High, he shall not be moved. David talking about himself. Not only is his mercy new every morning, but in Christ we become partakers of his grace and mercy. And as partakers of the grace and mercy of God, listen, we might stumble at times in ourself, fall short, but we're immovable having been founded on the rock of Jesus Christ because, again, of the finished work of the Lamb of God in His death and resurrection. Immovable. 8 through 13, let's read it together here. Your hand will find all your enemies and your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven 
in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they indeed, for they intend evil against you, and to devise a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore you will make them turn their back, and you will make ready your arrows on your string towards their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Uh, we will sing and praise your power. Kind of a turn of tone here. David's rejoicing in the victory of the Lord, and now he's prophesying about the enemies of the Lord. Your hand will find all your enemies. And some would read, oh, there's not that many enemies of the Lord. That's not scriptural. The Bible says that there are many enemies of God. Philippians 3.17, brother, and join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. There are many enemies of the cross. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and there are many that go through that gate. And notice here, David is prophesying that the hand of God is going to find his enemies. The hand of God, the right hand of God, the hand of power. He's going to find those who hate him. Now, there are many people that hate the Lord. They hate the word of God. They hate the righteousness of Christ. I know there's these false Jesuses today. And, and people, you know, a lot of times these folks, you know, we love, we love Jesus, but we hate his followers. And a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of hypocrites and such, and, and I get that. I understand where they're coming from with that and whatnot. We don't always represent the Lord, right? But usually what that is, is we love the Jesus we've made up over here, but we hate the doctrine of the Word of God, which His followers preach. Because you can't separate Jesus from His Word. And if you're here tonight saying, I love Jesus, but I don't like His Word, you don't love Jesus Christ. Period. To love him is to love his word because in the beginning the word was with God, the word was God, and guess what? The word became flesh. You cannot separate the two. Before we came to Christ, we were enemies of God. But praise, praise him through Jesus Christ, we have found friendship, have we not? And even these enemies and those that hate God today, he stands ready to wash them and forgive them and move them from a place of enmity to a place of friendship through yielding to Jesus and dealing with the sin issue that makes us enemies of God Almighty. But take note, listen, to those that will continue to walk in that rebellion and that hatred, and, and we got a culture where the hatred towards God and the things of God is increasing greatly. There's going to be no hiding from them on the day of judgment. As David's prophesying here, it's true. The hand of God will find his enemies, and he's going to find those who hate him, and he's going to deal with them. And notice verse 9. You shall make them as a fiery oven... In the time of your anger, the Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and fire shall devour them. You're like, oh, hellfire, hellfire and stim, brimstone preacher. No, just teaching the word of God. Just teaching the full counsel of the word of God. Hell's an eternal fire. Jesus said this, and by the way, I learned this a while back. We had a video here on hell that we shared that was very good. 13% of Jesus' teachings were on hell. And Jesus said in Mark 
9.42 through 44, but whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone hung around his neck and he's thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than to have two hands and go to hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched, where there the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Twice he says here the fire is not quenched and he repeats this two more times. Listen, Jesus didn't go to the cross in vain. He didn't go there just to make another way on the coexist bumper sticker. I saw one of those other day, coexist with all the stuff. Then the other one said tolerance. I wanted to pull him over and said, say to him, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you going to tolerate me? <laughs> we'll put that to the test right now. I got a feeling by the other stickers, I would not have been tolerated. <laughs> but he did not go to the cross in vain. Upon the cross of Calvary, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and there's a mystery in this. I don't know how it all works out. But for those three hours of darkness, Christ took eternal hell upon himself for me and you. I'm not saying he went to hell. But he took that wrath equivalent to eternity and hell upon us. He had to. That's the only way he he paid the debt, right? Mm -hmm. To pay the debt, you got to pay it in full. Listen, if I owe $100 and you go pay $20, I still owe $80. You paid it in full. And he went there to save people from hell. But again, each person has a choice to make who their God is and where they want to spend eternity. And there will not be anyone in hell who did not choose to be there. I guarantee it. That's a choice made by men to reject the conviction of the Spirit of God and all the evidence that God puts before men to begin them, to get them to begin to respond to that call of the Spirit of God. And He will always make His gospel available to those that respond to that call. We've talked about that. We've documented that biblically. It can be documented in the world today. And, 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 and experiences and such that line up with the Scriptures. Notice here, their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. Now, is He talking about just natural offspring? Biblically, no, the sins of the Father aren't the sins of the Son. I believe he's talking about spiritual offspring, where Jesus talks about the Pharisees making uh, twice as much sons of hell than themselves. Now, oftentimes, though, those adults that reject Christ, you look at it practically, the odds increase that their children will as well. doesn't always play out that way. But the Lord makes it clear here, The time is coming when this is going to come to an end. This world's not going to continue on as it is forever. It's it's not going, he's going to intervene and stop. And I think if he doesn't stop it, man would destroy himself if he doesn't come in and stop it. And you start reading about the the end of times and so forth, and it seems real clearly that we are in that, that time. We know for sure we are in the last days because in Hebrews, they talked about being in the last days really since his resurrection. We've been in the last days. And we can only can come at any time because Jesus said, I can come at any time. And then you look on top of that, of all the signs which we've talked about so much, things going on in the Middle East and just the love of many growing cold and so forth. Make, it, make no mistake, the time is coming when he's, he's going to say enough. Verse 11, notice here. For they intended evil against you and devised a plot which they are not able to perform. And you see a lot of the evil in the world today 
listen, some of it comes from ignorance and so forth, but a whole lot of it is an intended evil, an intended rebellion against the living God. Psalms chapter 2 talks about the nations plotting vain things, and the things they're plotting there is a conspiracy to come against God Almighty. And Satan in his foolishness still thinks he can defeat God. We know Babel 2.0 is coming. As we head towards this one global government economy and false religion, which sadly you see many evangelicals even holding hands and praying with individuals that are clearly not followers of Christ according to the scripture. And you see the nations plotting things. Psalms 2 and other places speaks of it. And what they're plotting is to push God out. At the Tower of Babel, when that tower was built, they believed they were going to get up to the heavens and defeat God. That's how stupid sin makes you. And we're headed towards it again. And these plots are being devised. And I think we're aware of some of these plots, aren't we? We see some of these plots being played out. You know what? Just start looking around at many of these plots that are being put into play. But listen, he says, which they are not able to perform because these plots eventually will be put down because Psalms 2 says God sits up in heaven and he laughs at it. That's the best you got? You really think you're going to overthrow me? You really think you're going to redefine marriage? You might do it amongst yourselves, but it's, it will never be redefined with me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're going to redefine the way of salvation? You're going to redefine who God is? You think you're a God? You're not a God. He laughs at it. And if he's laughing at it, then I think, yes, we want to be moved to prayer. And God has shown love to these people and dying for them. And we need to love these folks and sharing truth to them. But if God's not sweating it, why should I? And why should you? Verse 12, therefore you will make them turn their back and you will make your arrows on your string. Uh, you will make ready your arrows on your string towards their faces. David didn't play in some of these psalms. Like he's talking about teeth getting kicked in and whatnot. He understood the gravity of sin and the rebellion of man and God's hatred of it. And the Bible says our God's a God of war. And Jesus Christ himself, when he comes back to this earth, it's not going to be lowly on a donkey. Revelation 19, and Jesus talked about this many times in his teachings. He's coming back on a white horse and stuff's going to get wrecked. Because nations are going to gather together against Israel. They're going to gather against God Almighty with all of their forces towards heaven, thinking they're going to defeat him. And the scripture says that the blood is going to go up to the, the bridle of the horse. And I don't think that's, that's just poetic. I think that's really what we're going to get. And the sword's going to come out of his mouth, you know, like this arrow speaks of. And, 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 and this era, of, as we know it, is going to come to an end. And can any of us really stand for a second and try to, to, to make a defense for fallen man and the reasons why it shouldn't? <laughs> Heck, I can't make a defense for myself except my defense is Jesus Christ and that I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. Finally, verse 13, be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. And absolutely, he is exalted in his own strength. All creation worships him. We read in the Psalms recently about the, the stars give him glory and so forth. He holds us all together. Whether you know it tonight, the fact that you're, you're functioning 
it's by the strength of God. And, and God's even exalted in that. And let's be a people that aren't forced to exalt him. Let's exalt him at every turn. And notice that's how he ends here. He doesn't say, you know, and maybe we'll sing some praises to you. He says, we will sing and praise your power. We will do it. Again, it's another one of these we wills we've been looking at in Psalms. It's not an optional thing. It's a predetermined, predetermined thing that has been set in stone. We are going to praise the Lord. We're going to sing praise to him. No matter what comes, that's what we are going to do. We are people of the word. We are people of God. We are people of worship. We're going to glorify God no matter what. And we got to get that mentality as Western Christians. We're soft serve. I'm not talking about getting a harder heart, but, but we need to get thicker skin and a determination. No matter what comes, we are going to follow the Lord. We're going to follow, it according to, follow Him according to the Word of God. We're going to worship Him. We're going to trust in Him. We're going to love Him. We're going to call out to Him. Our eyes are going to be set upon Him. And he's going to be with us every step along the way. And listen, option B is not better. Whatever that is, it is not better. And boy, the enemy's got option B through Z. But this, this, him, he is the only option and the best option. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you for our time here. Lord, what a blessed night we've had. Lord, of, of worshiping you. And what a blessing, God, just seeing, Lord, your saints, Lord, your children praying for one another. Lord, what a, what a sweet time, God. And we thank you for your word, Lord, just the clarity of it and the truth in it. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us at Calvary's cross, or the cross of Calvary. And Lord, as the gospel has been shared here tonight multiple times, I would hope and pray any who have not called upon you, God, that they would do that now. And at the minimum, they would not leave here, Lord, and, 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 and shun these things, but they would consider them. And you would not allow the enemy to come and even, Lord, steal away the seeds of the gospel that have been planted tonight. But they would be watered. And Lord, we want to see a harvest of souls in our community. And, and so let the gospel go forth. And just build us up in you. Let us rejoice in you. Let us take joy in the strength of the Lord tonight and who you are, and your salvation, which you have afforded to us. We have so much to be thankful for. Bless the rest of our fellowship here tonight with one another, and just our time out here. and Just be with each of us, Lord, as we go home tonight. And Lord, uh, as we leave here, let us remember we're going out into a mission field. And so go before us every step along the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.